And hello. <laughs> Yay. Welcome to Wine, Women, and Words. And I'm Diana. And joining me this week is my wonderful co-host, Jennifer Lamb. Hello, everyone. <laughs> Author of the book that we have been reading this this month is the Zarina's Legacy. Ooh, I have a copy too. Oh yay! <laughs> <laughs> and don't forget, you guys can see us um, on YouTube. You can hear us at podcasts.com, soundcloud.com, and the Podcast Republic, and pretty much everywhere right now except for iTunes because I am a slacker. <laughs> That's the one account I have yet to pick up. Still a lot of choices. Yes, yes, definitely. We want the whole wide world to be able to hear us. Woohoo! <laughs> you can tell I've had one glass of wine already, so yeah, I'm excited. Oh, we are going to have fun tonight. <laughs> so let's just dive in with the questions on this book because this was such a fun book to read. And like when I started reading it, I was like, I had another book that I had to read and review. And I'm like, all right, I'm just going to read my first five chapters and that's going to be it. I'm going to read what I need to for this week. And the next thing I know, I'm on chapter 11. Oh, I love it. And I love hearing that feedback. <laughs> so like everything else I can handle, as long as you keep reading, I feel good. Any other Your books I'm okay. <laughs> well, they suck me in. These stories suck me in. It's almost like crack for me, where it's like I can't yeah. stop. It's like, it's like almost like Lay's potato chips. Once I read a chapter, I just can't go. You can never read just one chapter in this book. Well, I would love to have an actual blurb like that if you're interested for future books that they're like crack. I will totally take that as a blurb and use it on all promotional material. So thank you very much. It would be my pleasure. It would be my pleasure to have my name on there. Diana says your books, my books are like crack. Perfect. We'll do it. Yes. Yes. It will be the best promotion out there. So... Starting off with the very first question that yeah. everybody who's been a co-host, because as you know, we've had three different co-hosts yeah. for you this week. And every single one, I was like, so do you have any questions on the book? And every single one is, what the hell is up with Michael? Oh, my gosh. Yes. And, uh, wow. And that is a very interesting question to me. Is there a follow-up to that, or is it basically just boiled down to what, what's his deal? What's his deal is really what it comes down to. Because, I mean, we love him. I love okay. him. He, I, I adore him. And yeah. there are times that some of my other co-hosts are like, we really like him. Sometimes we just can't trust him. We yeah. really like him. And then we just love to hate him at some points. Oh, that's good. I like that. And, and that's, you know, that's very interesting feedback to me because I never really thought of him in quite, a, quite those terms. Um, but to be, to be honest, my, my answer to this is going to be, uh, different than my answer to a lot of other characters and this was really a fantasy boyfriend for me to be honest uh, when I you know for those of you that read my first book the secret daughter of the czar when he first appears I, I you know he's a recurring character that comes back for this book so I have to really think back to my process uh, in writing the first book and which was a which was a very different experience because it had you know I wasn't under contract I didn't have an agent this was just my baby that I secretly worked on at night and weekends and I just had fun with him I you know like I want the dark tall dark mysterious stranger to come into my life and sweep me off my feet and there's no logic to it and they may do things that are semi shady and full disclosure I've been involved with men that fit that bill pretty well and uh, <laughs> there's really no keeping me away from them to be honest it has to be really has to be really intense before I finally get scared away um, so I don't know that that my romantic fantasies of men are particularly healthy and that might be where uh, readers have some issues with like wow why is she still going along with this guy when he hasn't told her X Y and Z um, well, that's why we're layers because we're not healthy, and that's why we can write these really great stories. If we were healthy, we would be so fun. people, and we'd make no stories. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> well, and it's you know it's interesting you say that because that that is another that's another element of it. You know, I I think that as 
writers and as readers, we ha and any artist really, I think we have this really romantic vision of the art just coming coming from above, and it just everything magically flows. Uh, and sometimes that happens, and it's a really wonderful feeling. But there's other times where you're really involved in the craft of it, and one of the one of the things that I struggle with as a writer, and I'm working on it, is sometimes you reach plot points where there's a voice in your head that says, if someone would just tell them what they're actually thinking, this would all be resolved in two minutes. <laughs> uh, and I know that sometimes that happens in my book, both of my books, and I, I don't think I'm the only writer that that happens to. Uh, and so I do try to work character into it so that if, if you have two people that are naturally not trusting of other human beings, especially mm -hmm. when they have strong feelings for them, I th I'm going to argue that it's semi-realistic for them to withhold information, but yet still be drawn to each other and able to forgive right. one another for that. Absolutely. I mean, how many times in normal relationships are holding stuff up from others? Yes. I had dinner with a friend of mine who is a um, criminal defense paralegal, and we were discussing a client of hers who was going through a divorce after um, 40 years of marriage. Oh, wow. Some of the stuff that came out before, before that in a therapy session, that's people hide things from each other. They don't just tell everybody everything. So yeah. it's completely understandable that he's keeping stuff from her. But I think it's this kind of... One of the things we kept talking about this month is that there's this nice balance between uh, Veronica and Michael where he kind of, he gets that alpha-ness <laughs> about him. He starts to, you know, push her and then when she pushes back and tells him to stay in his own lane, he'll actually listen to her. So okay. I don't know, maybe that's a dream boyfriend moment or... <laughs> no, I, I'm, I'm really glad that comes through because I do, I do like alpha males and I, I, I do think a lot of that is romantic fantasy, but I think part of the fantasy is that you know, once you've got them, that they do, that they are, they submit to you to some extent, even though they are alphas. And I, I like to do that with male characters. So I'm glad that that comes through. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. And I love it that he was a damsel in the stress in this book. He had to let, hey, he had to be the one that she had to rescue. Yes. Yes. I, and I, and I did that very deliberately. I, uh, I find myself sometimes going down a storyline that is very um that is very traditional and as an example of that in my first book and i, I apologize for people that have not read that but this is pretty easy to explain um the character of veronica's grandmother uh discourages her from having a family like she thinks that she's got it made as a single professional woman and when i was originally drafting it i had her as the more typical scenario that we expect from mothers and grandmas like oh you're of a certain age why aren't you you know i want grandchildren i want this that and the other and i i stopped myself when i was writing it and realized that that that's a cliche and and maybe it's not you know, there's truth to it, and it can be interesting, but I wanted to do something different. So for this book, uh, I definitely wanted him to be in jeopardy at the end and for her to have to intervene to to rescue him. So that that was very deliberate. <laughs> oh, good, um, yeah. Was, was yeah, I, I, I thought so. So, yeah. <laughs> I think the best romances are when the hero and the heroine rescue each other, uh, maybe in different ways. So. Absolutely, yeah. You see that in some of the best ones, like you see that in like Outlander comes to mind, where she's yeah. always having to rescue him, pretty much as much as he's having to rescue her. Yes, Something yeah. So. <laughs> that was very nice. Yeah. So, so I did, and and that was honestly yeah. that was really that was really fun to do. Also, to have to have the man be the one waiting that has is kind of trapped and waiting for the woman to do something. I thought that was kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a fun tournament. I love seeing more of those because it's not always the girls who wind up the, being the ones in the jam yeah. who have to get rescued. Yes. We're not always the troublemakers. That's right. That's a good popular place. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> but, yeah. But looking into going now into Veronica, since we yeah. touched base on her a little bit more, um, she's 
she's so complicated. And as Eddie brought up in the uh, first week, she loved how um, with Veronica, there was this vulnerability to her, but yet there was still that strength to her. So you saw this push and pull. And you saw it a lot in the first book where she has a lot of that, those insecurities. And then in the second book, she still has those insecurities, but yet she's still trying to get to know herself. Yeah. What um, kind of goes into being able to create that? Okay. Well, this, so I put my glasses on because I felt like that this character. is going to be introspective. So I have to see myself a little bit while <laughs> I'm saying that again. Um, I would take it back off because I can see the reflection of my Christmas lights in them. Um, but Veronica is essentially me, uh, that, so it's, it's interesting to hear her described as comp described as complicated because of course I, of course I'm very complicated. Of course someone would say that. Uh, but it's also kind of, I mean, everyone is complicated, right? Uh, but she, yeah. from the beginning, she was my, she's always been like my stand in and I felt like it was important for me. Um, well, uh, let me let me tell you a couple of things about how that character. There, I I think there's a couple, of course I love her because she's me. Like how how could anyone not love her? Of course, that's very interesting too when you base a character on someone. I base characters on people I know and have have been intimate with and have gotten negative reactions to those characters, which was very interesting. Um, and I've gotten negative. You know, I'm glad you guys love her, but you know, everyone has their own opinions. So once in a while, you, you'll hear something different. And if it's based on you, it's like, oh, whoa, man, I, I thought that was an okay character quality. I think probably <laughs> indecisive as part of her being complicated. Uh, I think she's probably indecisive to some degree, which is um, can be irritating, I'm sure, but is certainly true to me if she's a stand in for me. Um, but a couple things about Veronica's character um, that I like to kind of talk about. First of all, she started off as a supporting character in in a book that I wrote a long time ago that has never seen the light of day, that probably will never see the light of day. Uh, it was kind of a, although I still, you know, there's still that fantasy that I'm going to get it out from under the bed and fix it up and and that'll be the best one yet. Um, but it, but I think I have to be a little realistic and say that was more of a learning book for me. Uh, but she was a minor character in it, and she was always kind of my stand-in, but she was more of an observer of what was happening to the main characters in that book. So I thought it would be interesting when I had the idea for uh, Secret Daughter of the Tsar, uh, I thought it would be interesting to make her the main character because I felt like, well, if if she's me, I'm going to be able to be inside her head. And it is pretty easy to write scenes for her because I just imagine how I would react to everything. Um, mm -hmm. And I think the qualities you see in her, both positive and negative, are definitely, definitely reflect my personality. Uh, the other thing that I think was important, uh, and I'll, I'm sure I'll be talking more about this in a little bit, uh, but you know, I'm not Russian. Um, I studied Russian history very extensively in college. Um, I've, I've, you know, read as, read Russian history as, and culture books as a hobby for a long time. But ultimately, I'm an outsider. I'm American. I'm never going to be able to completely convey an insider's view of that culture. So it was very important to me that Veronica was also approaching, even as she's discovering how it, it how how Russian culture and history is part of her. I'm trying to word this very carefully and not be too spoilery <laughs> in case, in case you know, people haven't read it yet or are watching. Um, but it, it was very important to me that she had an outsider's point of view because I know that I, I will, that will always be my point of view and it needed to, I felt it needed to be reflected in the central character, that this is someone fascinated by this, not an insider. Yeah, and I yeah, thought, thought it was important, important that she be the, the, uh, an, outsider. an outsider story because, because she, she is American, American and, and yes. has the history of between America and Russia, and all of a sudden you have this woman who shows up who is she's the czar or Tsarina, <laughs> and all of a sudden you're she, but she's an American. She's yeah. only half. Russian and she's yeah. half Hispanic and as they brought up yeah. in the book the color of her skin 
That, those are natural things that they would have. They wouldn't just embrace her as a populace as a whole. It, right. It wouldn't fit normally. So, yeah, having her as an outsider, I agree, it was such a good and important thing about her. And I do, it was, um, I'm going to try doing this for a few more minutes, and I'm going to grab my wine. I want to honor that part of our discussion. I'm going to keep the wine throughout the thing. And if you're happy and Um. You know, when I was dealing with her coming into Russia, I mean, there was, you know, I'm I'm well aware that even though I did um, include scenes where she's she's receiving negative feedback um, for various reasons, including that she doesn't look like um, how a traditional, very conservative, and if I can be forthright, you know. I think there is often an element of racism when you have that kind of traditional conservative, um, I, ho I hope I'm saying this right, homogeneous uh, view of your society. Um, I, I think she would get a lot of uh, blowback. And I don't know that it's necessarily realistic that she would even get as far as she does in my book. I tried to portray some of that. Um, but at the same time, uh, when I'm writing, uh, I research very thoroughly. Uh, it's very important to me that scenes that are set in other eras are evocative of that era and that the details of how, of how one might experience life in that era are, true, are, are vivid and tr as vivid as I can make them based on my research. But at the same time, I'm also writing fiction. Um, I, you know, I was in academia for a while, and I'm well aware of how academics view history and the, uh, I mean, there's interlap for sure between mm -hmm. academic history and fiction. Um, they influence each other to a large degree, but fiction is fiction. It's, it's made <laughs> up. And, and, and my, and I, you know, whenever I speak to groups, I say, I am on, you know, there's, there's people that do not want any deviation from the historical timeline in their historicals, and that's very fair. That is not how I write historicals. I want to, I want to put my imagination, my ideas, um, and my fantasies into them. And that does bleed into the contemporary parts of my stories also. So there is a large degree of fantasy in in Veronica's story. I wanted her to be Princess Diana in Russia and accept <laughs> and to a large degree accepted as an outsider. So absolutely. Yeah. And and cross. And yeah, and and you touched on a very important point on this that it is historical fiction. And you know, I've been writing my own historical fiction, not quite so secretly, um, at, on the weekends and after work and during my lunch breaks. Oh lunch break writing um, that's the best. Because you get you get in a groove yeah. and then you have to go back to work. But it makes you so excited. It's like, oh, I miss my writing. And so I love lunch break writing. Yeah, and I used to go to my uh, local library. because so my office is right around the corner from the library. And I used to go there a lot. Um, but I haven't doing that because I'm like, I'm losing 10 minutes on either both ends of my lunch break. And I just, I can't. I, I need that yeah. extra 10 minutes to write. So I've been yeah. sitting in my office eating my lunch and writing. Very um, relatable. <laughs> yes. Uh, but with historical fiction, I find is we do walk this tightrope of yeah. having to have the proper amount of history, but yet also be able to tell a good story. Yeah, like I'm working on is about Italians in Northern California, and so I'm having to do all this history and all this research on the history up there. But yeah, I also want to tell a good story and make things work with my plot. So dates sometimes get a little fudged. Yeah. Um, but that's, we have, and that's very common in historical fiction. I think I think that might be the one when you start condensing events and and playing mm -hmm. with the dateline a little bit for that. I think that might be the one change that pretty much everybody accepts because if if you follow, you know, you, as I'm sure you're finding with your research, if you try mm -hmm. to keep everything exactly when it happened, you're like twenty months later, you know, <laughs> you know, it just it just <laughs> exactly. yeah, it's like the same thing a few times and yeah. Yeah, Leslie mine's during World War II, so there's like lots of little things happening. So I'm like, okay, this one doesn't fit, but fits here, but this one over here, that fits. I can work with that. Yeah. So there's lots of things that happen in that time frame. But and I think that's the art yeah. of it, to be honest. That's, 
you know, the, there's the, the research and, and it, it, that's very, it's fun and it's exciting. And, and I'm sure mm -hmm. that you're feeling that with it, but at the same time, um, I, I, you know, I'm a big Hamilton geek and I, oh God, I, I just, I love, I love what he did so much. And one of the things uh, that came up, of course, I haven't seen the show because I don't have a million dollars. Um, but one of the things that came up on the PBS documentary was at the idea that at some point you just have to, you have to trust that you've done your research. You've got like the base in your head and then you put it aside. And um, like watching that, I, I actually studied early American history as well as Russian history. So I, I actually read the Hamilton biography that he based the show on. And I know especially the events that had to do with his sister-in-law because I'd spent a lot of time researching her in grad school. He played around with that quite a bit, but it made, it totally made sense. And it still, it still remained true to the emotional truth of their story, which I think is the most important. So. Yeah. Speaking about playing around with words and stuff, yeah. Um, okay. I'm ready. Well, Zarina versus Zarina. Yeah. <laughs> so Who knew that that was a little bit of a controversy? Yeah. <laughs> like reviews, just to see, you know, if something sparks a good question for me, and then I see that, and I was like, whoa! I didn't right. even know this happened. Some of them, I'm like, did you even read the book? Right. Um, and I tried to. I, I'm. I'm guessing you're talking about Goodreads, and um, yeah. I. You know, I tried to engage with the original poster a bit. Um, I don't know if you you saw that, saw but that, yeah. at some point I I did disengage. Um, so this I under I understand the objection, um, and I respect the objection. Um, Zarina is essentially a made up word. Mm -hmm. My reason I I want to make it clear that this was a thoughtful decision on my part. That's what I tried to convey to the original poster. Um, I may be wrong on my decision, or people may have different opinions on my decision, but it was not something that I that I took lightly. Um, I considered using Zaritza, or I hope, hope I have got that right, because um, <laughs> I know my Russian pronunciation, I butcher. Um, when I was researching it, that term was primarily used for the wife of the czar. Mm. And technically, Catherine was the wife of the czar for a little while, uh, but her circumstances were so unique. Um, mm. And the way she came to the throne, <laughs> it, it simply didn't feel right to refer to mm. her in that way. Um, she was a ruler in her own right. And mm -hmm. in, the in the historical, even though the title of the book is meant to be an allusion both to Veronica and to Catherine, um, in the historical section of the book, I only use the word empress um, because I did not feel it would be right to use, to use Tsarina. Um, I do use it in Veronica's section of the book, and I do have Russians use it um, mm -hmm. for consistency. Mm -hmm. Um, and I definitely did not feel that the other term was appropriate for Veronica because she's definitely not the wife of a czar and never has been. Mm -hmm. um, the other kind of uh, feedback I got based on that explanation was that an alternate term I could have used was Zarevna, which is daughter of the czar. Um, that would not have been appropriate for Catherine. And mm -hmm. for Veronica... I mean, you know, again, I don't want to give away too much, but I I didn't feel that that was an appropriate term for her either. Um, yeah. I still feel, yeah. <laughs> I still feel good about my decision. Um, again, I'm not saying that it was I'm not saying it was necessarily the right decision. I'm not saying that it's um I, it's not there you could make a solid argument the other way, and I totally <laughs> respect that. Um, but, but what I will defend to, to death is that <laughs> I thought this through and I made a conscious decision. Um, and I did do, I did do research on it. Um, and you know, and of course it's a, you know, the term for English speaking audiences 
they're more familiar with Sarina. Um, and I, I'm not going to lie and say, oh, that had nothing to do with it. I mean, that did <laughs> play into it also, but I felt like I could justify the decision. So, yeah. Exactly. And for those of you who are just listening and not watching, Jennifer actually slams her wine cup down, basically. So, <laughs> the dollar is delayed. <laughs> Definitive. <laughs> Yes, I gesture a lot. So yeah, if you're just you're missing out on all that fun. So yeah. Oh, I, I feel for you. I do the same. Well, I think that sounds prettier. It it flows better as the title, the Zarina's Legacy versus I think so too. Yeah, versus the Zarina's Legacy or the Zarafiva legacy that just doesn't flow as as well. And it's one of the things that, you know, maybe as we as writers sometimes we get or not writers, as readers, we get too nitpicky about what we're actually reading and forget that it's somebody else is writing this a story and it's not necessarily right the truth. it's fiction i know i personally sometimes get nitpicky about legal stuff uh yeah i'm up for legal during the day and if they get something wrong that's my one little nerve where i'm just like oh my god just google that it'll be in yeah. google google this law it's you don't have it right um yeah and, and we all have that. And, you know, I, and I should say, like, um, I, you know, for historical fiction, again, I'm really on the side of, like, wide latitude, wide birth. This is fiction. Um, I want, I'm more interested in, in a writer's ideas and story and character than, than an exact recreation of a historical era. I mean, I, I mean, of course I want those fun details, don't get me wrong, but the most important thing to me is the, is the character and the idea. And honestly, also a lot of it is like being able to connect what's going on in the past to the present. That's really, I mean, it's obvious from how I write my books that that's important to me. Um, but having said all of that, <laughs> I do, I get the nitpicking too. Like I have my, I, for me, it's um, when academics are portrayed um, like, I don't know if anyone has watched Timeless. Like, I, I've only watched the pilot, and I enjoyed it. Like, I, like, it didn't stop me from watching, but she's a character who's a college professor, and, like, the, the big expert, her, her, her field of expertise is history. Like, mm -hmm. we need to find someone that knows history really well. Well, college professors are so specialized that it just, it makes no sense that they're like, oh, you know, it's like, they're, we have to find someone who knows science. Let's get someone who can do rocks and space and ocean and we're all set. But but again, it's like not specialized at all. Yeah, you know Russian history, so you can totally you can totally everything there is to know about Asian history too. That's you got that covered. Exactly. Just your while you're at it. But I should say that even though like I. I, I still enjoyed the show. Like I, it, it doesn't, that kind of thing, I enjoy it, but it doesn't detract. If, if everything else is in place and I'm going with it, you know, it, it, I, I'm still going to go with it. It's just something where I can feel like, Hey, I caught, I caught something. So yeah. Yeah. I, I feel what you're saying on that for me with like certain legal shows. Um, like I could do like somebody cop shows, somebody cop movies, but as soon as they get into procedure, it reminds me too, it reminds me too much of work. Ah, I, I and I'm out. Yeah. So it's like I I think the most serious that I get with the cop shows is Brooklyn Nine Nine. Oh I can watch that without it reminding me of work. Yeah. That that totally makes sense. I work in uh, my day job is in fundraising. And there's not a lot of shows about that. So I'm actually okay. Like I, I usually, I can escape when I watch TV. So <laughs> yeah, what do you do? <laughs> it's very easy to get away from it. Yeah. <laughs> well, speaking of the history, cause we were yeah. going back and forth between, um, in the past. And it was funny. One of my co-hosts, uh, Antonia, she, her only criticism was, Going back and forth between the two, you'd leave off on a um, on a cliff, and she wanted to know yep. what happens to Michael and 
and Veronica, and he, she's like, no, no, the past stuff. I've, I've got to, okay, I've got to stick through this. I've got to read this. <laughs> well, see, I got, I'm, I'm okay with that. <laughs> I'm totally okay with that. If she, if, even if someone is just like, well, I really only like this one. I'm not really, I, I like this story. I don't like this story as much. Like, well, you like one of them. Like, I'm good with that. <laughs> so if, if you're like wait, waiting to hear what happens on the other one, like I, I can live with that. Um, you know, it's interesting. Well, there, okay. I don't know if it's interesting, but I'm going to phrase it that way. Um, I really like, I really like stories that connect uh, the past and the present. And I try to, I tried to find parallel. For me, I, I was, when I kind of was thinking about like, what historical period do I want to do for this one? I mean, the Romanoffs were like my baby. Like I knew for the first book, I knew right away what I was going to do. Um, but this one, this one took like, I would say it took like one minute to decide on the Romanoffs for the first one, the last Romanoffs. And for this one, it took maybe two minutes to get to Catherine the Great because I just <laughs> adore her. Um, and I thought that, I thought that there would be interesting connections between have, exploring this period of Russian history where there's a woman in complete power, um, it just, I don't know, like, I'm going to describe myself as a feminist and, but I'm, but I'm going to speak in really general terms about that. Um, I think women today, we like to, maybe sometimes we like to think we're on a level playing field, but there's still a lot of obstacles in our way when we're in a position where we're actually empowered over men. Um, so I thought it would be fun to juxtapose those two. Now I ended up, I ended up telling it though, not from Kat, as, as those of you who read know, um, I didn't tell it from Catherine's point of view. I just made her a character in, in that story. Um, and that was because um, one of my very close friends, when I was just kind of chatting about it, I said, well, I'm, you know, I want to do a second book that's kind of related to the first one, but I know I want to do a historical story in Catherine, during Catherine the Great's time. And she's like, oh, it has to be Potemkin. Yeah, she's like, you yes. got it. Like, it's got to be him. <laughs> um, yeah, she was one on target with that. Yeah. She, well, she had just read there. Was, so there's a big biography. It's in my, you know, in the back of the book. Um, I reference it. Um, it was my main, my main source, especially for him. I used a lot, a lot of, um, a lot of research books. But for him, for trying to figure out what made him tick, his character, uh, there was a biography that came out in 2000, I think 2001, um, Simon C. I'm going to butcher this name. But I, I read a lot. I don't talk a lot, so I butcher everything. Uh, Simon Sebag Montefiore, I hope I'm saying that right, uh, British historian who does a lot of a lot of work in Russia, just this magnificent biography that she had read very recently. Um, so she was all about him. And so you got to read this. You gotta, and I was like, yeah. So basically we both have huge crushes on him now. Um, <laughs> and, and I, you know, even though it's told from a male point of view, I, one of the things that was really appealing to me about Catherine's, about Catherine's reign overall is that I feel like we're very accustomed to hearing the story of the male monarch or or if we want to really expand you know the male tycoon the male business leader like any man in power um where women are kind of vying for a part of that power by using their sexuality and of course my favorite example because it's the one i think we all love hearing the story over and over is anne boleyn and henry the eighth like i yes. always think about like anne boleyn you know i i firmly believe she she may have had feelings for him, but she wanted she wanted that throne. Like she wanted, <laughs> like she wanted she to wanted be. She wanted to be king. She wanted that. Yes, she and wanted the influence. And I love to bring up Angelina and Henry VIII because in so many ways, the relationship between um, De, um, Potemkin and uh, Catherine. Yes. In so many ways, it kind of reminded me of that where. You had it reversed, like with yeah. Evelyn and with Henry VIII. You had her. Everybody in the court was in love with Henry. Everybody wanted yes. to please Henry. It was all about having his son shine on the court. Yes. And then looking here at Catherine, it was all about having her son shine on the court, and everybody wanted to please her. And yeah. how much love 
he had for her and just wanting to please her. And it didn't matter to him that she had all these other lovers. Yes. He still yes. loved her and another number of them. That seemed to work both ways. Uh, mm -hmm. one, that was, a, you know, so there were two parts of their relationship that really appealed to me. And the first, the first was what I alluded to that, like the idea of the man using his sexuality um, to, to further his own career um, by influencing a powerful woman. I thought, I thought that was very interesting. Um, but in terms of their particular story, because I, you know, it, it, Felt, doing the research, it felt very clear to me that Potemkin was in love with her, that his feelings were genuine, but at the same time, he also really loved the power that he had by being so close to her. Um, and I it's don't like, think those are mutually exclusive. <laughs> yeah. um, but I also loved, you know, I'm, I'm actually going to turn 44 in February. And I love the fact that they had kind of a flirty relationship for a long time, but their actual sexual relationship started when Catherine was 44 and Potemkin was 34. And I just love that they're not kids, that it's like this midlife passionate affair. Um, so kind of as I'm in that stage of life myself, that's really exciting for me that your great love could happen at this at this time in your life. Of course, it can happen anytime. And of course, we have stories about that. But I'm not convinced we have a lot of stories about that. Um, so it was fun for me to add to that. And I, I love that even even as she was growing older, he was still so drawn to her. Um, it, I don't know, what is there not to love about all of that? But it seems that even after the passion, you know, like any relationship, like, you know, it's passion, it seemed as though it was passionate for maybe 18 months to two years, then maybe that part of it started to, you know, fade a bit as it does. Um, but they they still remain wonderful friends and possibly still sometimes lovers, but without jealousy. He had other women, she had other men, and it was just like, yep, that's part of the deal, but it doesn't change our connection. <laughs> to me, I you know, it's not conventional, yeah, but I thought it was romantic. Yeah, that was a big part of that time. For that time, and yeah. Catherine, the about her the more I'm intrigued and the more I'm I want to say shocked shocked isn't the pleasantly surprised by everything about her because I knew very little I just knew she had a lot of lovers and she and that was it that's all I knew I didn't know anything further beyond that and so between this and then I discovered after I started reading this I discovered that there was a documentary series yes on Yes, on Netflix, and I was I got all excited when they got to Catherine's Park. So I'm like, I'm reading about that right now. Oh. And <laughs> <laughs> so it's clever, and it's just all the different things that we've learned about. Like the uh, they brought up the cartoon where she really was, um, and we talked about this last week when we talked about feminism in um, literature and talking about Catherine and relating it to the past feminism how. She scared the living daylights out of the European rulers. Yeah, because here she was, this female monarch, and yeah, there was one person that I absolutely loved, where she's just stepping over all of them. Yeah, and they're <laughs> looking up her skirts and yeah, all the political <laughs> cartoons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, and and you know, it's interesting too that you mentioned that. Um, at, you know, after saying, and I get this a lot. Um, and and you know, I was in the same place for a long time where people are familiar with her because of her sexual exploits um, or what's perceived as her sexual exploits. And some of the research that I did uh, suggests that there were historians suggesting that that was very much um, done as, as you're, as you're talking about by male European monarchs who were not comfortable with, they weren't comfortable with Russia kind of flexing its weight and they weren't, certainly weren't comfortable with a female ruler of Russia doing that. Um, so they started crafting her image for her. And it worked, I, I think, to a large extent, uh, because that is, I think, mo what, at least when I talk to people about my book, um, I get that same feedback that like, oh, I know she... I know she had a lot of lovers, blah, blah, you know, like, that's what we know about her. And mm -hmm. don't get me wrong, that part is 
interesting. <laughs> um, but it's, you know, like it's fun to read about, and <laughs> yeah, yeah, and 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 I mean, I I I don't know. I I still think the way that she um, the way she cultivated her lovers, the <laughs> again, it's something we associate with men. She she wanted them young. She wanted them handsome. You know, like she she had she had, she felt entitled to that in a way that I think mm -hmm. often older men do to younger women. Um, and it was really refreshing. So I think there was a political yeah. element to that too. Um, but a lot of a lot of other things about her rule, I think, were kind of got erased in that. Yeah, her really um, enlightenment um, positions and this very forward progressive thinking, uh, she almost did away with feudalism too, from what I learned from the documentary. Yes. Um, yeah, and so and it's interesting looking at the juxtaposition between Catherine's time and the progressiveness yes. that she tried to put forth. And then as you kind of showed in the book, the the new Russia, the very conservative Russia. Yeah, and she wouldn't fit in conservative Russia. And I and I'm glad that that comes across in the book because that that was my goal. Um, I think you know I believe strongly that history is cyclical. Um, I think sometimes we like to believe that you know we're you know it just history keep, the way that we view the world it just keeps progressing and progressing and progressing. So we we are the enlightened people, and you know what 300 years ago they didn't know. You know, we we couldn't even handle how they would see the world, and I'm certainly <laughs> not certainly not trying to say that if you like plopped Catherine and Potemkin in contemporary Russia, that if you plopped them right out of their time and into contemporary life, that they would suddenly just be like the cutting edge progressives. Um, but I am suggesting that if somehow they were transported to this time period, they would acclimate, and that. Mm -hmm would be disappointed with the with what is the, the very conservative nature, especially the homophobic under I'm not I shouldn't even say undertones, it's really blatant. Um, I do not I I don't see that as an inevitable inevitable part of history. I think they would be very disappointed with that. And I'm glad it comes across. And again, this is this is me making a hypothesis, not, you know, it's ideas based. It's not fact based. So of course, someone could disagree with that. And our writers, we do have to, we get to project our own opinions and our own theories into the characters. It's it's what we do. It's part of the fiction. It's part of historical fiction. When we get to put this in there and say, hey, well, maybe they could have thought this way. Maybe they didn't. We don't know. But we actually put the thought in there that they could have possibly done this and thought this way. Yeah. Because um, yeah, I. Yeah, I can agree with you on that. I think they would have something they wouldn't be very happy with what's happening over there. Um, to Red, the character um, Red Volkov. And yes. before we get into him, though, first, um, I don't want to touch on with the book. It's um, Veronica is supposed to be the one where you see more of a comparison between her and, um, at least from what it says in the back of the book and the promo stuff with her and uh Temkin, but really I see more of the parallels between her and Catherine as she's starting to come into her own. She starts to become more like Catherine. And I see aspects very much Dimitri, especially with his characteristics of playing with that Ruby like like the Temkin did. And okay. aspects of Michael I'm being <laughs> Yeah, both of them being like the Temkin in very many ways. The parallels set that way versus what you know the parallels between her and and I'm very good with that. Uh, I I went back and forth when I was writing it, um, where I think she I think there's reflections of both of them in her. Um, I, I mean, since since Veronica and Potemkin are the two point of view characters, of course I'm trying to link them to to some extent. Um, and I think I, to my mind, it was kind of well. <laughs> I'll quote you. Uh, uh, complicate or paraphrase you. Uh, the complicated nature of their inner lives and their personality. Um, I, I was attempting to draw parallels there um, because I thought that I saw that. Um, 
And again, it's going back to Veronica kind of being me, essentially. Um, when one of the things I found out about Potemkin and really it was really meaningful to me was that he appears to have had what we would characterize as bipolar disorder. Um, hmm. And the way he, and I'm not saying, I don't want to, um, I, I don't want to falsely take that mantle. I, I have not been diagnosed with that. But I certainly know, I certainly know how it feels to have a very, very high mood and then a very, very low mood. Um, and one of the things I really respected about him was the way he dealt with his periods of depression. He basically would, it sounded like he would basically lock himself away, put his little lavender cloth on his forehead and just say, you know what, I need a few days to just be in here and mope. <laughs> I, you know, that's how I feel when I'm in a low mood. Like, I know this will pass. It's like having a bad cold or the flu. You just need to let it go through you, and then you're okay again. So I really related to that. And so I, I thought that maybe certain aspects of their personality were similar. But in terms of dealing with empowerment, I definitely think there are there there are parallels between Catherine and Veronica as well. And I, Absolutely. Yeah. But now, okay, so now we've done that, let's go back and look at uh, Rev. Wilson sure. and, his, uh, and his whole story. Because, yeah, you, it really, that one really struck with the whole uh, new Russia and um, so many similarities between him and the whole Pussy Riot case. Yeah. Very, very yeah. much on purpose. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, and for those of you who are listening, I'm not sure, and just in case you guys aren't familiar with the Pussy Riot uh, case, Basically, uh, a band of about three women. Um, they performed a concert in front of a church. Uh, supposedly, I guess it wasn't sanctioned. There were some sort of technical details, uh, but they were criticizing Putin, and they were arrested and put in jail for it. Yeah, two years for that. I, I believe I, I'm, I'm not. You know, it's been a. There's been some space between me and the research for this book, but I was some time. But I believe that mm -hmm. the charge was hooliganism, um, and it was yes, like letter of the law but not the spirit of the law um mm -hmm. and some some people may remember that before the olympics um in russia that suddenly oh there's a pardon for you know like suddenly he you know the eyes of the world were there and that they were let go but they were their imprisonment was very harsh um and and yes it was and again i'm not i'm not going to pretend that i have an expertise on that case um but I certainly mm -hmm. followed it when when it when it occurred, and I did try to without without um, capturing the exact details of their situation. I definitely wanted to capture the spirit of that um, mm -hmm. with an artist who is, you know, I. <laughs> I don't know. I, I I had fun with his character, but I sometimes he's like a fun character, and yeah, and <laughs> sometimes I have fun, but I don't know how that comes off. But I thought I thought he was fun, and um and and, and you know I think with Pussy Riot, uh, you know I I tend to be a very liberal person, and things don't bother me. But I can take the conservative viewpoint, and some of the things that they do in their performance art is. <laughs> you could make an argument it's offensive let's put it that way so I tried to reflect that in his artwork also and I, I had fun with it but I'm sure some people were actually offended I don't know um, <laughs> but but I did his character I loved his character I really enjoyed it I, I don't see it was weird seeing him with his partner because I figured out who his partner was like yeah. what his partner was yeah. long beforehand I remember it was like in the very beginning of the uh, one of the first podcasts, I'm like, I think he's gay. I'm okay with that. I'm yeah. sure that I was like, I think so. I think he's gay. But then to see that the two of them are together, it was like, oh, I don't see that. But okay. Fact, uh, <laughs> they were definitely opposites. Um, but yeah, Rev was just a, you know, yeah, he was a fun character. You could tell you had fun with it. And because he was so much fun, um, but yeah, the it obviously Pussy Riot had a major influence. Obviously, the what's going on with um, the anti-propaganda laws, yeah. basically the yeah. anti-homosexuality laws, had a huge influence on this. 
Um, can you repeat that question? Sorry, it faded out for a second. Oh, the, the, the propaganda laws and the um, their the homophobia that's going on there right now had a huge influence. Um, how much of like the um, you know, in the book you talk about the being the graffiti on the walls and stuff. How much of that was taken from like actual cases or actual things that you saw in the news? Was it a lot of it? You know, I did a lot of research on what was the specifics were not um, as far mm -hmm. as I know. Um, I did uh, I did a lot of research on things that were actually happening there. Um, one of the one of the cases that really disturbed me was um, this is going on a little tangent, but I promise I'll keep it short. Uh, there was a there was a news anchor, I believe, in St. Petersburg who came out publicly and right out when you know when this sort of legislation um, was kind of in its infancy. Mm -hmm. uh, he it, again like. I, I can, I'm just imagining the comments below me saying, well, actually, this person is incorrect because well, I, I, I'm not promising that I that I have everything perfect here, but I'm, I'm trying to recall my research. And I believe it was when these laws started to be passed, he um, came out and like within a day or so, uh, you know, he was fired the website had removed all evidence that he had worked for the station. It was really, it was really disturbing. I mean, it's, it's disturbing on, on many, obviously on many levels, just, but, um, but it also to some extent reminded me of the Stalinist era where people just, you know, they got the knock on the door at night and were just made to disappear. Um, it, it felt a little bit like that. It was very disturbing. So obviously that's not a direct uh, that's that's not a direct relation to the types of graffiti that I depict in the book, but I felt that based on things like that, based on the kind of rhetoric that was occurring, based on the types of hate crimes that are happening, um, that the graffiti was I, I wanted something that's just kind of how can I put it? And I'm taking some liberties here uh, because I, I'm sure someone could make an it's argument. Fine. No, the graffiti would be removed <laughs> regardless of what it said. The graffiti would be removed. Sure. Not necessarily. I mean, I mean, look at our, our graffiti that we have that we've been having pop up, pop up. It's not removed sure. right away. Right. And I mean, it'll stay in for a while. Any efforts, sure. Um, but but my goal was more to reflect um to try to portray the pervasiveness of this mm -hmm. um and reflect the what I thought again, like try kind of staying close to the emotional truth of what I thought was happening there, and that's where that's where that came from. Um, and I can see that, and I think it was it was a good it was a good call. Okay. <laughs> good call. Good yeah. play. Yeah. It's a complicated. It's a very complicated issue. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is a very complicated issue, and I think it's an important aspect of the story to be told because it's not just um, we get so used to how things are here in America and complacent. I guess you could say. Yeah. Uh, how things are, where somebody just comes out, and it's and where uh, most of us in the country are at a point where we're like, oh, okay. What do you want for dinner? Then? Um. <laughs> I still remember I was in high school and it was it was still kind of a big deal back then and uh, one of my really good friends she came out of the closet and she was kind of afraid to tell me and then finally when she did I was like oh okay well are we still on for lunch you still gonna do a thing and I just I remember the look of relief on her face where I was just yeah. like no big deal and right. we're so used to that being that 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 being this way in this country that we seem to forget how it's like in other countries. And I don't know, without stories like Reb's, without showing that, you know, what can happen to him and Dimitri, um, which, you know, I'm hoping he pops up in another book because I really like his character and I'm a little worried about him now. You know, I've had that feedback from other <laughs> readers also, um, <laughs> and that they want a follow-up. And, and the way that I, again, trying not to give too much away, but, um, the way I ended his story, it kind of accidentally turned into a cliffhanger. Um, I didn't mean it to, um, but I but it just felt like a cliffhanger. It's a partial cliffhanger where it's like his story is wrapped up and he's made this yeah. decision to do something, and now we're like, okay, great, you've made this decision. Now, now we want to see what happens with your decision. How does it turn out? I'm not like 
yeah. hung on but I'm just like, I like you. I don't want to see anything bad happen to you. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I, I appreciate that. And, and like I said, I've got, I've got, you know, this happened in, in the first book with, um, with Lena's story, Lena and Pavel, um, that I mm. kind of, okay, well, this is what happened to that. They go there. And it felt very logical to me. And I did, I do think it wrapped it up to like, on one, on one hand, it wrapped it up, but on the other hand, it opened up a whole, like, oh, well, that would be a very interesting book, possibly, too. Um, so I always had it in my head, like, oh, well, maybe I'll do a story, like a supplemental freebie or something with them, um, and the same kind of thing. And I would love to, and I would still love to, but of course, you know, they're you know, there's only so many hours in the day. Um, and the same kind of all the free time in the world. Uh, I wish, I, I wish I wrote faster. That's really what I wish. Um, but I tend to like things that involve super intense research. And then on top of that, I write very slowly. So, um, <laughs> the same thing happened in this book with, I think with Dimitri's story where it's mm -hmm. like, okay, this makes sense and I like this ending and it kind of was a last minute addition um but it does open up this like okay what happened when he does that that's an interesting story too uh mm -hmm. so again it's one of those that, like if you know if I win the lottery and have endless writing time and some and, and inspiration which is a big part of it too um I'd love to I'd love to explore his story more um but as it stands right mm -hmm. now it'll just have to be in everyone's imagination <laughs> yes I guess I guess so I guess we'll have to live with that for now but for, you told me that you've got another book that's in the works that's on the way honey you should mention that yeah um, yeah. yeah so I'm working now and thank you for giving me the space to talk about this um so, because I'm actually revising revising it right now I mean, of course I'm gonna let you talk about it awesome uh, yes, yeah. <laughs> so I do have a third book coming out in early 2018. I don't, and it seems like a long time, but I know it's the time's going to fly. Um, so this book is tentatively titled, and I emphasize tentatively, uh, Lady Pushkin. And just to get this out of the way, I well understand that that is not a Russian title and that she is <laughs> Pushkina. Um, which is addressed in the book. There's a reason why the title works out that way. It, it's, it's in the story. Uh, but that probably won't be the final title regardless. But it does open up talking about it. Uh, so this is a straight historical. So those, those of you that don't like having to go back and forth, no worries. This one is just one, one, one timeline. It's told the first person. This is the first time I've tried to do that, and I'm actually loving writing in first person, so um, I'm very excited about that. So this is the story of Natalia Pushkina, who is the wife of Alexander Pushkin. I think I can safely say Russia's greatest or at least most beloved poet. So Alexander Pushkin died at the age of 37 in a duel. Uh, like Alexander Hamilton, um, but the reasons were different. So he died uh, over his wife's honor. And what intrigued me about this story was that in some histories, uh, the wife of Pushkin is portrayed very negatively. Um, it's assumed that she was not, she was doing all of this stuff behind his back. She was behaving in this really awful way um, and because of her he was forced to fight this duel and died and all of Russia was robbed of the great poems that he would have written had he lived longer so she has this very in, in many circles she has this very negative reputation well anytime and, and she's gorgeous if you if you see pictures of her like all, like my editor was when she first so she had accepted the book but she hadn't actually seen the She'd read my chapters, but she hadn't seen a picture of Natalia. And she saw the picture and she's like, well, now I understand why those men were chasing after her. Um, <laughs> she's really beautiful. And any time a beautiful woman is attacked, there's this little thing in my head thinking, huh, what's really going on here? 
Um, so I started research researching her and she, I think she has a very interesting story of her own. Um, there has been more recent historical research where that has uncovered that, for example, uh, she had interest in her own writing. She had a strong interest in the history of Russian poetry. Um, if you look at her correspondence with her husband, it seems fairly obvious to me that they had, I feel that they had this very romantic, very playful relationship, that this was a genuine marriage of love. Um, I don't think it's impossible that his wife would have been distracted by other men. I think that happens to the best of us. Um, but I don't think that's a reason to forever malign someone. Um, so I decided to do some research into that, and that will be the topic of my next book. It will be from her point of view. It'll be early 19th century Russia, Tsar uh, Nicholas I. Um, and I, like I said, I'm very excited about it. I I can't I'm wait to see about it too. I this is gonna be yeah. so interesting. And yeah, I love and so it's different, it's different than what I've been doing, but still Russian historical. But are we gonna get more Veronica down the road? Well, if there's a demand for it, then sure. Um, I mean, I, I, I don't, I don't have. Um, a few people have asked me this. I don't have a, a third book in my head right now um, mm -hmm. with Veronica. But like I said, she's me, so it's like you know, I'm always ready to go back to her. Um, but I'm certainly not. Um, I'm, I'll let I'll see what happens, and if ideas come to me for a third book, I will I will get them down on paper and see what happens. I would I would love to return to her world, um, but as of right now, I can't give anything specific to that. Yeah, <laughs> I will accept that, and I am seriously looking forward to Lady Pushkin. Thank you. Um, I, did I say that last time? Right now. I'm very, I'm excited <laughs> about it. Um, like I said, it's a little different than what I've been doing, um, but I think that it's, uh, I, I'm, I'm excited about the way it's told, and I'm very excited about her story. I think people will be interested in it. Oh, absolutely. I love that. That's one of the great things about historical fiction is that we can tell the stories that haven't been told, and these stories that have been hidden by history, and, yeah. and this told, yeah. telling it from that first-person perspective just gives it that whole new twist. Yeah. Um, almost a salacious twist to the history, which is so exciting. I, I think so. Yeah. Like, I mean, there's definitely a lot of juicy stuff in her story. Mm -hmm. um, with Catherine, it's like, on the one hand, there's all this wonderful, juicy, sexy stuff going on. Um, but also, I think some pretty strong feminist themes in there as well. So I'm, I'm, mm -hmm. yeah, I'm very happy. And anytime, um, anytime there's a, a woman who has been either neglected or perhaps misrepresented is a better word in, in actual histories. I'm very excited about the idea of um, exploring what actually, what might've actually happened and trying to recover mm -hmm. her, her personality in a more meaningful way. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's my, one of my favorite people in history is Anita Garibaldi because oh. she's so lost in history. And right. One day I'll get a book out. Of like um, yeah so lost and so very you know misinterpreted yes it happens a lot i mean i will do one last hamilton reference uh that is definitely what for those of you that follow the show uh this is definitely what happened to angelica schuyler uh if you look into if you look into some of the writings about her she is not portrayed in a positive way she's portrayed as basically she was in love with her brother-in-law that it was awful how awful of her to have that emotion um, and I just love how she's portrayed in Hamilton, um, I, I, which I think is much truer to who she likely was. It was genius. And yeah, if I win the lot of, uh, I'll, I'll take you to go with me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I live in Northern California and it's in San Francisco, March 2017, but apparently it sold out within an hour. So I'm just going to have to try my luck for a single ticket or something. So, yeah. Um, it's at the Pantages. It's going to be in, at the Pantages this fall. And I looked up tickets as soon as I heard about it. And they're like over $500 a ticket. Wow. Just to see it in Pantages. And I'm like, you know, I'm. I probably won't be able to see this until it's no longer, it's kind of passe, until nobody else wants to see it and it's done in community theater. 
That's, um, that's my guess. That was my guess. I told one of my coworkers maybe when it's a high school play and they put it on, then then finally I'll be able to see it live. But um, yeah. Oh, you never yeah. know. <laughs> yeah, you know, he's been doing uh, donations. To, um, if you give money to Planned Parenthood, um, there he had that thing going on where um, I was like, okay, I gave ten dollars and I had ten entries into the contest, and I'm like, my fingers are crossed that maybe I can go see the show and see it with him. That would be epic that's um, amazing and it's a good cause regardless <laughs> so yeah I, yeah I love that stuff yeah <laughs> so everyone, that's it for the show um we will be back on january 5th uh, michelle will be back with us then she is uh for those of you who are interested she is officially in chicago um she's freezing her butt off but doing okay they have heat and they have internet so she's gonna survive <laughs> and then uh, so that everybody can prepare, be prepared and be uh, teacher's pets for January. We are going to be reading uh, Dido's Crown by Julie Rose. Awesome. That, that, I, I, might, I might join you guys with that. That sounds great. I love the book. And I'm making Michelle read it because this is what happens a lot with books where I'm like, okay, you've got to read it. And it gets added to our list. So I make them be the books of the month so that she can actually read them. Great. So I, like I love it. Yes. So, all right. Everybody have a wonderful holiday, and we will see you in the new year. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Oh, yes. Thank you for coming on. Uh, yeah. Thank you for being had gracious and such a wonderful co-host. Aw, <laughs> thank you. I had a wonderful time. Thank you. Oh, good. Yay. Bye, everyone. <laughs>